About, about three or four years ago, God gave me a picture, a vision, that he wanted a church. Listen carefully, folks. Listen, listen. This is, I believe, a prophecy about our future. And it was a church here in Glasgow of around about 3,500, 3,500 people from many nations gathered in the city. And I, but I, that's not all I saw. Listen, I saw that in the first stages, in the early stages of growth within this church, that the bulk of the growth would be internationals. People who had come from other nations, if, if I were to draw a graph, half of those three and a half thousand would not be from this nation. You see, for generations, God, God has said, go, go. Because the sad thing is, when people live in a country, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. God has used missionaries in all generations, and this is no exception. So no matter what culture you're from, no matter how you got here, whether you were an economic refugee, whether you're a student, whether you were fleeing persecution, and I know many of you have been, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters now is where you are and the purpose for your future. It is crucial that you get that clear, otherwise you'll get disconnected from what God has for you. Turn with me this morning to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 14. On your seats, you will find a sheet. Please get a hold of one. You may be sitting on it. On your seats, you'll find a, a sheet, and it's entitled, Facing the Challenges Ahead. I'm not going to talk too long this morning, because I know you've probably read the, uh, the menu and you want to go and eat it. Facing the Challenges Ahead. Numbers chapter 14, and I'll just read one verse. Numbers 14, verse 24. Numbers 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. See that word different, folks? You, you, you can't see it in English, but it's the word next. Next is the word, actually. But because my servant Caleb has the next spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Now, look up a moment. Look at me. S stay with me this morning. The type of person who planted a church in Europe 30 years ago was very different from the type of person who's going to plant a church today. I mean a successful church. You understand? The type of person in the past, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the type of person needed today is completely different. So you have to be a little bit careful when you study church history or you study methodologies because things have changed so much. In fact, I would say that every generation, I don't know how big you want to make a generation, I like to think of it as about 20 years. So, but every 20 years, there's like an up-and-coming flock. There's a new generation emerging in the church. And you have to relate to that generation. And you have to keep moving. But the sad thing about Christians, <laughs> they love to stay put. They so love religion. It's the fallen nature. We love routine. 
And yet we hate routine. We like things to stay the same. And yet we complain when things stay the same. So we need to look at, at, at the age in which we live. Jesus put it like this. He said, wine is produced every year. You know that? There's a new wine every year. And Jesus put it like this. He said, you can't take this year's wine and put it in old wineskins last year. There's a new generation. And you'll spoil it. You'll destroy everything. And so the world is. You need to look again at the city in which you live. And you will find certainly in Glasgow that it's multicultural. It's multicultural. And the, particularly European cities. So I've got to think, and each of you pastors, you've got to think really long and really hard about what you're giving your life to and what's going to be left at the end. Listen, you see the apostles in here? Do you know what they did? They said to everybody, go, go. And they sent them out all over the world. You're here. People are still arriving. Their task, I believe, is slightly different from mine. And as much as we say to our churches, Pastor Elia, going to plant a church in Bulgaria, amen. Of course we believe in church planting. Absolutely. It's the heart and soul of us. But listen, now the people are already in the nations. And now I see half of my job is in bringing them back together. They arrived from many different cultures. They arrived in London, in Glasgow, in Birmingham, from nations all over the world. But the plan was never that they would be separated. It was never that they should live alone or be alone or worship alone. That's not it. The early apostles, they sent people out to the cities just like this one. But part of our job collectively is to bring people back together. There's one church in Glasgow, folks. There's only one church. There's many reflections of it. There's many, you know, ways you can view it. But from God's perspective, there is one church, right? And sadly, you know, the world just doesn't lend itself to working with God. So I want to challenge the pastors. I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge all of us. What is it going to take for us to grow? Am I going to grow? Am I willing to grow? Am I willing to make the changes personally that it will definitely demand of me to grow this church? And over the last year or so, in our pastors' meetings, we've been asking ourselves that question. Am I willing to actually make the sacrifice? Am I? And I, I, I just want to present you with three simple challenges this morning. And you keep them until we meet again in about three or four months' time. The challenge is facing us all. The first challenge is the challenge of loyalty. So it's my first point, and I'm going to do it in reverse order. Loyalties change, or they should change, as you grow up. If you were in a gang when you were a kid, put your hand up. Anybody in a gang? I know Elson was in a gang, right? Anybody in a gang? Well, I was in a gang. It wasn't a very big gang. I was actually the only member, but it was my gang. <laughs> Amen. Do you know what gangs are? Gangs are like you're, you're five or you're six or you're seven years old, 
and you go out and you join a gang. And do you know what you are? You're loyal to the gang. And it's your first encounter at the lowest level with loyalty. I was passing through Los Angeles once, and I remember I was frightened. I thought, man, this place is dangerous. Man, there they have gangs, real gangs, dangerous gangs. And we were driving through, you know, Chinatown, Koreatown. I was thinking, wow, just keep driving. I don't want to stop here. It's really dangerous. And I remember watching a documentary about the gangs in America. Listen, the policeman that they interviewed, I never forgot what he said. He said, in order to understand gangs, you must understand this. You see the gang member? His world is the length of that block. That's it. His world starts at 52nd Street and it ends at 53rd Street. That's it. He's got a very small mind, a very small world. And I, I never forgot that because I thought, yeah, that's it. And you know what that is? It's like the lowest level of loyalty. And then you start to grow up a little bit. Maybe you get 9, 10, 11, you know, and you start to support a football team. And you've got Celtic on one side and Rangers on the other. And now loyalty starts to become a little bit of a problem. Because now your loyalty can get you in trouble if you're in the wrong part of town at the wrong time. You can get beaten up. And now loyalty, instead of being a good thing, becomes a dangerous thing, becomes even a divisive a divisive thing. So you grow up, you become loyal at a very low level, a gang. Then you kind of maybe look at sport, and then you've got your family. Children can be very selfish, but once they hit maybe their mid-teens, hopefully, they start to respect their parents and become loyal to them. But you know what? Jesus, when talking about family loyalties, he wasn't impressed. Remember? Twice he mentioned it. He said, you're loyal to your family? So what? Even the lost do that. And he was beckoning, beckoning us on, calling us to something higher. And then you get a little bit older and maybe you become patriotic. You start to realize the nation that you were born into, whether that was Pakistan or India or in my case, Ireland. A lot of people become very patriotic and it's all about their country and there can be some national pride. Now, hey, respect your nation, but the journey's not finished. Look, listen, if we took all the Indians in Glasgow, every Indian that was a Christian, and we put them in one church, do you know what they would become? Selfish. If you took all the Scots, the white Scots, and you put them in one church, do you know what they would become? Selfish self-centered, my culture, my little block, my world, my life. And I have worked with cultures for years, and I have seen how self-centered, how, how small the mind can be. Why? Because of that point there, nationality. You see, your journey is not finished with the gang. Your journey is not finished by looking after your family. Your journey is not finished by being faithful or loyal to your nation. There's something higher, and it's the kingdom of God. And Jesus beckons us there, and I've had challenges at, at every one of those levels, and I'm sure you have too. But that's what our goal is as a church. It's to be loyal. Do you know I had a Romanian church once, 
and my interpreter was a really nice guy. I liked him very much. He worked with me for several years, three, four years, interpreting Sunday after Sunday. Faithful friend. Great guy. Vasily Paps is his name. And we grew that church from 25 to something like 300. And it was a good church. But they began to go down a cultural road. And I warned them. I said, you know what, guys? You need to constantly remember the kingdom of God. And Vazil said something to me one day I never forgot. He turned to me and he said, Pastor Mike, if you make me choose between Romanian culture and the kingdom, I will choose Romanian culture. That's what he said. And I remember I, 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 he, was a, he was a close friend of mine. I said, Vazil, you know what? There's one big difference between me and you. And that's it. That's it. Because I never will. I will not be more loyal to my family than the kingdom. I'll not be more loyal to my nation than the kingdom. And you're making a big mistake. And he did. And they went down a selfish, narrow-minded road. You know? And so as we gather together, people challenge it all the time. I was talking with Pastor Babu yesterday. For the last four or five years, we have not had any problems with the cultures mixing. Hallelujah. It's a new age. There's a new generation. They don't have the problems that the previous generations had. There's a new generation. There's a new crop. They're going to school together. And the old divisions, if you're over 30 or over 40, those old divisions are in your head. Right? And you need to look again as your children grow up. Believe me, they will not have the cultural baggage that many of us have. And that's why in our churches, the problem is not often the members, it's the leaders. The leaders themselves carry cultural baggage and loyalties to things that they should never be loyal to anymore. Keep growing. Keep growing. Keep advancing until you're loyal to the kingdom. And people challenge us and they say, oh, you know, it's never going to work. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ returns, he returns for a church, take a look around, from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And that tells me that's what I should be building. That's where my energy should go. That's where my focus should go. And I advise you to do the same thing. Give your life to it. Because it's what he's coming back for. Right? Now, people will challenge you at all kinds of levels and ways about building international churches. In all manner of ways. They'll say that you can't work it. It's never going to work because of doctrinal differences. Not true. There's three levels at which we understand. Three levels at which we operate. The lowest level is practice. Then I've written it on your notes. The next level up we'll call doctrines. And the top level is dogma. Listen, on the dogmas, on the law, if you like, we all agree. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do we all agree? Dogma. Dogma. It's the things we all agree on. There's actually about 15 points. We won't go into them today. Right? There's about 15 points that the church, by and large, if you're a Pentecostal, you agree on. You don't need to add to that list. Paul says in, in Acts, don't make it any more difficult for people to join us than it already is. Because the early church had this same problem. So the highest level is dogma. We agree on those things, guys. Not a problem. We already agree. The next level down are doctrines. Now, Pastor Fred will have some doctrines. 
that he believes that I don't. Fine. The person sitting on your left may believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church, and the person sitting on your right may believe in the post-trib. I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And if we allow simple little silly things to separate us, once again, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Don't separate over silly things. Let each be content in his own conscience. So you've got dogmas. We all agree on them. You've got doctrines, and actually doctrines differ in different regions of the world. So when we all come together, we have a, a bit of sorting out to do. But it's not difficult. It's fine. The lowest level is practice. And that's just our cultural practices. Whether you are aware of it or not, you have practices. It's just you don't realize it. You look at someone, the way they dress, the way they stand, the way they sing, the way they pray, the way they do, whatever. And it's not anything that's biblical. It's just a practice. Every person can have their own practices. That's fine. My point about this, the three levels, dogma, doctrines, and practice, don't add to dogmas. Leave them alone. That's where the trouble starts. Jesus is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. There's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He was raised bodily from the dead. You know, there's already enough for us to be united. But people like to, act, to, to promote, it's called promulgation. They like to take a doctrine and try and make it, you can't be saved unless you wear white. Right? You can't be saved unless you've got a... We were talking about this with Pastor Babuster. You can't be saved if you've got a beard. Anybody got a razor? You know, these are practices. These are local practices. And Jesus hated them. Jesus hated them. The Pharisees used to say to Jesus, You're breaking the law! And Jesus would turn and say, Whose law? Whose law? Who made that rule up? Show me. Uh, we did? Exactly. Jesus hated, he broke many laws. Men's laws. Not, not the dogmas. Not God's laws. And the Pharisees did what many still try to do. And that's bring practices to doctrines, doctrines to dogmas. Are you following me? It's a problem, you see. I was sharing with a Pakistani congregation a few weeks ago. Listen to this. You're not going to believe this, right? I had a, 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 a gypsy congregation, not very big, but a hundred and something people in Dublin. So they have a lot of problems with this. They were trying to make... Oh, when I would get up to preach, I would pick up my Bible. As soon as you got the Bible, the whole congregation hit the floor on their knees, you know? I think, well, what did I do? And then when you finish reading, you put the Bible in, up they get. But I've got to go down then. So they stand up, I've got to kneel down. The pastor says, kneel down. Why? Just kneel down. Okay, so I kneel down. And then you've got to stand up, and you've got to say, it's like a workout. You don't need to join a gym, just go to church. And I started working with these guys and saying, look, you've got quite a lot of practices. You've got quite a lot of cultural practices. And if I was a local, and I walked into your church, I don't know if I'd want to go to this church. Seems a little strange to me. And I do presume that you want to grow. I do presume that you want to impact the city of Dublin because I can guarantee you with so many localized, you know, colloquial practices, you're going to alienate everybody. So we started working with them. Now listen, one day I turn up in church and every man is bald. Every man has shaved his head bald 
I walk in, I'll just walk back out again. I don't think I'm... And I, I looked and I thought, I don't believe this. So I called the pastor, really nice guy. His name was Monica. I said, Monica, come here. And they're all looking like whip dogs, you know. I said, Monica, why? Okay, why? And he said, well, one of the members played a trick on us. He wanted to show us that we were trying to make doctrines out of everything. And it was excluding people. So what he did was he tricked us. He got us to agree and make a covenant that to drink coffee was a sin. If that was a sin, I'm going bad places. I tell you. To drink coffee was a sin. And he got us all to stand up and say, we will never drink coffee again. And we swore that if any one of us drank coffee, all of us will shave our heads. And then the man played a trick. He got a friend to invite one of our men. He sneaked up outside the house. The man went in. He offered him a coffee. He drank it. Ha ha! Gotcha! And so we all had to shave our heads. Cool. Unbelievable. Now, it's funny, but I tell you, at the time, I was furious. Call yourself a shepherd! Call yourself a shepherd of the flock when you put laws on them, rules on them, that Jesus set them free from. Wake up! Cultural stupidities that minimize your growth. Snap out of it. You're adding laws, and Jesus hates that. And I tell you, if Jesus was there, can you imagine him? When Jesus, you, you know what Jesus did. When he, he couldn't stand religion. Jesus loved sinners. He loved the lost. There's only one thing he was angry at. Religion. He couldn't, he, he hated religion. And he went after it, adding laws to people. And that's exactly what those guys were doing. So if anybody comes in here next week with a bald head, you know that they've been drinking coffee. Amen. So the first challenge, I challenge you, I challenge myself. Are your loyalties advancing? Or are you still stuck at cultural loyalty? Because you need to grow out of it. Keep your culture. Be faithful to your people. But there's a whole kingdom here that needs to be built. The second challenge is the challenge of numbers. Most pastors never get past this one, right? And let me just speak to them specifically. Let me talk. Pastors, please listen. Not everybody is going to go with you. Not everybody will stay with you. Some will leave. Some don't want to go. They just don't. I mean, you can look at many biblical examples. Do you remember Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? Anybody read that story? They fought with Joshua. They took the promised land. And then they said, uh, we're going back. And Joshua was very gracious. And he let them go. And it's one of the truths of pioneering. The, the, the very people, some of them, a small portion. It was only three, two and a half out of the 12 tribes. But a small portion of people will not stay with you. They may fight with you to start a church. But something in them makes them unable to continue the journey. You need to know that. You need to know that. And you need to be prepared for it. Because you will meet them. 
And you can grow your church to 100, 200, and all of a sudden a group of people will say, well, I'm going back. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I don't want to go any further. Personally, I can't understand it, but I know what happens. Imagine seeing the promised land. Imagine fighting for it and then saying, I'm going back. I don't get it. But there are people like that. And you need to prepare yourself for it because some pastors just can't cope. Can't cope with losing people. Got to hold on to everybody. Don't worry about it. Just let them go. Let them go. Not everybody will stay with you. Remember Gideon. God was determined to give Gideon success and growth. In fact, Gideon had 22,000 men. And remember what God said to him? Gideon, you're never going to grow like this. You've got to cut that number down to at least 300. And he took most of the men off him and left him with a smaller portion. Gideon had to decrease to increase. And that is a fact of growing churches. That's a fact. You will be challenged with it again and again until you overcome it. And you're not people-focused, but God-focused. Simple as that. Kingdom-focused. Another thing I would say to the pastors, and this is just between us actually, so please don't listen to this. God says to me, be fruitful and multiply. Okay? Be fruitful is one thing. Multiply is another. There are two different things. What he's saying to me, be fruitful, me, and you will multiply. Fruitfulness is something I am. It's a tree and the sap of God. You know, if you cut an apple tree in half, it's apple juice. The sap of an apple tree is apple juice. The sap of an orange tree is orange juice. And we should be, that, you know, grafted into Christ. Listen, for the, I have discovered something. And it's this. When I go home and I take my wife and we close the door and we pray and we become fruitful the church grows how did that work <laughs> be fruitful and you will multiply but being fruitful is something I must be and the sad thing is many churches they chase after the multiplication and they don't realize that all multiplication stems out of you being in Christ simple as that the more time, I think it was Martin Luther who said, I'm so busy now, I have to pray for at least two hours a day. You know, someone who had their priorities right. And you as leaders, you will need to be personally fruitful and then the multiplication will look after itself. So I challenge you on your loyalties. Where are they? I challenge you on, on, on numbers and not being tied to them. Don't let that happen to you. Numbers are not important. Well, they are, because people, we, we, we count people because people count, as they say. Of course, they're important for, the, for those reasons. But you know what, guys? I can honestly say, if I turned up here next week and there was nobody here, I would think, this is a shame. <laughs> That's sad. But let's carry right on going. I would. You know, there, there, you need to get a resilience in your spirit. And the only way you can do it, do you know why I feel like that? Because I'm looking to the kingdom. I'm not looking at the people. But if you look at the people, you'll be influenced by the people. 
You'll be influenced by numbers and, and all that and trying to keep people, and that's a waste of time. And the third challenge is the challenge of being Spirit-led. And that's what God said in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. He's talking about Caleb and Joshua, actually. He said, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, he would lead him into the promised land. See the word different. Because he's got a different spirit. Do you know what the word is? I mentioned it at the beginning. It's the word next. And God takes two people. There were millions there. Two million, wasn't there? 600,000 fighting men. And they all died. And God says two people have got... Listen carefully. Joshua and Caleb are two men of the next spirit. The next spirit. So here's Israel. They've got land to take. They've got a battle to fight. But they're all stuck in the present. And they're not seeing what's ahead. They're not seeing. But two people, Joshua and Caleb, were men of the next spirit. They were already there. They could already see it. They could already taste the fruit of the promised land. That's faith in action. And that's what God wants in us. You will always have naysayers. Remember the 12 spies that went out? Ten of them said, it can't be done. And only two of them said, of course we can do this. Naysayers, you know what naysayers are? People who are negative. They are everywhere. Anyway, you know what, folks? You will never do anything in life if you let people be negative and you react. You will never get anywhere, do anything, achieve anything if people can speak negatively and you pull back. Joshua and Caleb heard that it was impossible and they said, no, it's totally possible. We can do this. Amen. Men of the next spirit. And that's what we need to be. We need to be people who see. Look, God describes himself as the God who was, is, is to come. Three versions. The God who was, but he's still moving. The God who is, and the God who is to come. Joshua and Caleb, were the, were, where they were, they heard the word of the Lord, and they were moving on. You see, folks, there's a version of you that was. I remember Pastor Fred showing me a picture of himself years ago. It was funny. <laughs> it looked really funny. It was unbelievable. I thought, Fred, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Wow. Goodness me. A version of you that was? You'd hardly recognize him in every way, spiritually, physically. It completely a version of you that was, a version of you that is, but you're not finished. There's a version of you that is to come. Mr. Jassy one day opened up his wallet and he showed me a picture. Who, who? There was a Sikh guy, a Sikh man with his turban and a big beard. I was going, who's that, Mr. Jassy? That's me. I thought, wow. Version of you that was, there's a version of you that is, and there's a version of you that is to come. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Guess what, pastors? You're the one that's got to lead. You're the one, like Joshua and Caleb, who've got to be the person who sees what is to come. And that's why you're here this morning. So you can give them a round of applause, I tell you. Because there's lots of churches out there, guys. You know that. They're on every corner. People stuck in cultural little, you know, so small-minded. 
The very fact that you're here shows that you're willing to be open to learn. There's a version of this church that is here this morning. It's the version that is. But there's a version that is to come. And I see it in different ways. Do you know what I see sharing with Johannes the other day? I, I see that central hub, that large facility where we can meet together when we want to, and around it, many other halls where many nations can come together and have, have your cake and eat it, have your cultural expression, amen, and when needed, come together. God is a God who can let you have your cake and eat it, right? That's the nature of the kingdom. And I can see that. What we've got to do now is build it. And that's something we must all commit to. So, come on back, guys. I want to challenge you with those, and I want to ask you to put down any loyalties culturally that you may be clinging to, and be willing to change, be willing to grow, and go with the flow and go with God. Will you do that? Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.